0: You're listening to the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReports.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com RebelsRoundtable. On Twitter at Rebels Round or on our website RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in and welcome to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan. And tonight, we're going to be discussing Rebel Resolve, the second-to-last episode of Season 1. And joining me to discuss this is Barrent
2: Hey, everybody. Good to be back.
1: Mark. Hey, I'm resolved to be here and talk Star Wars. And the professor himself, Nathan P. Butler.
2: Wah, wah, wah!
3: It's my chopper.
1: So, this episode kind of picks up where... Well, it does pick up... Right where Call to Action left off. And I don't know, uh, why don't we, before we get into the specifics of the episode, why don't you guys give me your impressions? Because I kind of see this as a bridge between, you know, what was started in the last episode where Kanan was captured until what we're going to get in the season
4: finale. But what did you guys think? And Mark, kick us off. Well, I like the pacing that it had. I mean, I, I like the way that they do this cold opening feel. So it's like, while it feels like it's an overall bridging of an arc, as you say, it, it also feels like it's its own little one-shot issue of a comic. Uh, You know, I mean, the way the action really kicked out and, and the I don't know, the start had me hooked right away. I was like, ooh, this is kind of cool. You know, and as it all played out, I was actually kind of more intrigued by a lot of little things. Like, I, I don't know, there were a lot of little things for the animation in general for rebels that really popped up this episode, things like the way the blasters were shot and stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know if they changed something, but somewhere along the line, I was noticing a lot of little subtle things like Sabine, like, did she get an armor upgrade at some point? Did her gauntlets seem different? There were a lot of little things that I'm like sitting there after I was done. I had, I had a lot of notes on four pages worth of notes where I was just like, Oh, oh, I hadn't noticed that before. Huh? Wow. Chopper and chopper. I mean, real quick. I want to talk about that. I just got shopper today, finally got the action figure, but I'm already like, I want the Imperial Courier droid paint job. (laughs) That was a cool look. Nathan?
3: I think I agree with you, Jonathan. It really felt like a bridge episode. It felt odd. I mean, it was a good episode. I went through, watched it, got to the end of it, thought, oh, are you kidding me? It's over. You know, it wasn't something that felt like it ever dragged or anything like that. But it was very much about bridging the last episode to the next or about sort of being a prologue to what's coming. It almost feels like they should have taken this and the finale that we're getting next week, which is not being released early through watch Disney XD. All of a sudden they care about spoilers. It almost feels like those two should probably have been aired the same way that Spark of Rebellion was, where this episode in a lot of ways, it it doesn't work as a standalone episode. It needs the ones on either side to be able to have a lot of weight to it and with it really feeling like so much setup for what's coming next week. This could very easily have been just the first half of an hour long episode where we just built and built and built as opposed to it being building, getting to that cliffhanger point and then waiting a week, seeing some of that possibly fade and other people maybe just hyping it up uh, to bring us into that last episode. So. A good episode, but definitely felt like the first half of one episode as opposed to being
2: something standing on its own. Barrett. So this episode is a setup, obviously, for the season finale. And I think one of the biggest questions that we're going to talk about in this episode is, who is Fulcrum? And I think we're each going to have our own hypotheses and reasons why we think uh, who Fulcrum is. And I think that that's what basically it was nice to see the the team get together and try to get a mission accomplished without Kanan it doesn't really seem that Kanan makes the plans anyway it's Hera making the plans but it's nice to see a plan they're trying to get to Kanan in any way they can and it's nice to see the way they're going about it so uh, I'm excited for next week's episode I'm excited to talk about what we saw this week
1: You know, even though this was a bridge episode, I think there was a lot of good about it. What I really liked about it is the fact that Ezra is stepping up. I mean, he's been the Padawan, he's been kind of following, but now he's decided something's important. I mean, obviously we know how bonded he is to Kanan, and he's not taking no when Hera says, you know, they need to let him be. That they they can't risk rescuing him. But I like to see that growth in Ezra. And, you know, Mark, back to what you said about Sabine, there are some changes to her armor. And I think they were last week too, but I didn't mention them. She's now got some like pouches on her belt and her gauntlets are a little bit different. Her armor looks a little bit more... I guess, built up and maybe it's just a natural evolution. Maybe they just revised her character model a little bit, but I kind of liked
4: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She totally teched the tech out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's,
2: it's one of the things that we've seen from Filoni, especially during the clone wars and the progression of those seasons is that he starts out with a character looking a certain way. And as the character progresses and has, and faces challenges and, and difficulties and grows there, they're, Character changes and the way they look also changes. So I think we are going to get that jetpack eventually, especially now that we're seeing little tech that she's adding. So I think we will get the jetpack because like I said before, without that jetpack, she almost looks unfinished.
1: Possibly, but we'll have to wait and see. I'm glad that I guess the, the characters are evolving in, you know, before our eyes because. What it did in Clone Wars is that there were sometimes these jumps, but you didn't get like these little evolutions throughout the season, at least not that I remember, but now I think everything's kind of moving along, although I did find some other kind of amusing things, I guess things that didn't make a lot of sense to me, like for example, when or didn't make a lot of sense to me talking about the look of the character. An example of that is when Kanan is being tortured by Tarkin and the Inquisitor, he's still got his armor and his holster on, and you would think they would have taken those away. But I nitpick.
4: (laughs) Well, you know, one thing that I, I liked about the rogue walker scene at the beginning was there were two things that really stood out to me. And one of them is a repeat theme that we see throughout this, and it's Zeb's strength. You know, we see him reach into the cockpit of the walker, rip a trooper out by his face one-handed. Uh, later, we see him grab Chopper by the top of his little antenna and pull him out one-handed. And you see him also do another similar move with another droid. I mean, the amount of strength in that guy's one arm is like, holy cow, man. And the other one was while they're inside it. And and there's uh, some banter between uh, Sabine and Ezra while Zeb's standing behind him. And I believe Chopper just came in by doing the flying thing. They're doing the whole Spectre 1, Spectre 2 thing. They talk to Hera. And it was something that I, that I really figured out about Kanan's character. And it was last episode, but it was because of this. You know, they use the Spectre code names while they're talking to Hera. And then when they were done, they dropped them. And last episode, when when Kanan was doing it, he kept the Spectre at all times. When he was doing small talk with Sabine and stuff, he was always calling her by her code name, never by her name. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, while they were doing it across the open airwaves, once they stopped doing it with Hera, they they went back to that. And I, I wasn't sure if that was something that Filoni and crew did on purpose. Or if it was just something that happened and I just happened to catch it. Because I was, I was really paying attention to a lot of small, finer details. You know, like the way the blasters were shooting, they, they almost looked like they were painted on after the fact. Like they didn't even look like the regular style animation. I don't even know if that's something that's always been going on. And the flames too, when we have scenes with those, they know, they, they had a, a certain life to them that looked different and apart from the animation. It wasn't a bad thing. It was just something that really leapt out to me this time.
1: You know, Mark, you talk about, you know, these sort of things and I'm... Really looking forward to being able to watch this whole season together, you know, kind of like a seamless thing. Now that we're, now that we've realized that these episodes really are all interconnected in ways that we didn't even suspect in some cases. We've talked about this being kind of a season long movie and maybe that's how we should view it instead of, you know, arcs or individual episodes. But this is all, you know, one ongoing story, more so than we've ever really seen before. So I'm really looking forward to it. And Nathan, I know you had posted recently that you really hope that they put this season out on Blu-ray really soon. And I couldn't agree with you more because I, I can't wait to see this in all high definition glory and just sit down for a marathon.
3: You know, It's interesting also the kind of possibilities that it opens up to see it on home video aside from the fact that it's going to look gorgeous if Clone Wars is any indication this will be our first time to get a home video version that's not just from iTunes or something but actually on disc that has the Vader scene from Spark of Rebellion and one of the things I've been following with my from the Star Wars home video library. Is the episodes I call Clone Wars cuts, and I did something similar with droids. Where it was basically, here's the aired version. Now here's the version on home video, and in some cases we got actual director's cuts with added scenes, mainly in season one of Clone Wars. Uh, we had a lot of changes to the droids and Ewok stuff when they mished them together into those weird bastardized you know, film versions of them. But then even in later seasons of the Clone Wars. You had sometimes no notification on the package, but what amounted to kind of ironically extended cuts where the extension was literally a cut of maybe a few seconds and the cut was an impalement or somebody being beheaded. And that cut never aired, or impalement, I suppose, that stab, never appeared on Cartoon Network, but it made its way back in there. And I remember how they talked about early on You had a lot more of the director's cut types of things for season one of Clone Wars because they were still sort of working out the format and the timing of the stories they wanted to tell. Now they've got a lot of Clone Wars behind them as they're making Rebels. But I wonder if we're going to see that type of thing for season one and what type of additions we're going to get to characterizations, just the little scenes that add a little bit more nuance to it. But you're right. This really feels like a season long film, especially given the fact that even as we're finding out for next week, friggin fighter flight. The epitome of filler episodes turns out to even have a role in things that are coming up. I wonder perhaps if this is one of the benefits from something that fans have decried about the series so far, which is the length of season one. I mean, they already had a short order to begin with, and then two of those episodes were taken up by Spark of Rebellion. One was taken up by those four shorts they released early on, so we didn't get the traditional 20 or 22 episode type of season out of this and yet that's because we're getting a lot of solid build up not as many filler episodes as you would expect and the ones that we think of as filler or Pablo Hidalgo would call character building still wind up playing into things later on if we expand this out you know, for all we know we could have got some sunny days in the void or something if this is the kind of season we're going to be able to get with them making shorter seasons shoot have at it give us shorter seasons but this has been a very solid run so far
4: no, keep keep it coming. I want more. Let's 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 go with more, but keep the quality level up. <laughs> One thing though that that struck out to me also is the music. When Ezra's using the force, they use that classic uh, Yoda theme. I love that use. But when the walkers were coming out, I don't know if anyone else felt like the music took on a Jaws feel. It was like dun 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 dun. <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm digging this. I don't know. There's there's something about the way that they're choosing to play these little tracks and stuff as the scene demands it that really amps up the action for me. I don't know if any of you guys get the same feeling.
2: No, absolutely, Mark. I think you're you're right on about the music and not just the music, but other things. It seems that Filoni and crew are seemingly effortlessly being able to integrate this Rebels show into old Star Wars. It's something that he was able to do kind of towards the end of Clone Wars, felt more Star Wars-y, quote-unquote. You know, that was a big complaint. It wasn't Star Wars enough. It's mm. not my Star Wars. Well, it's, I think it's a lesson that he's learned and that he's brought over to Disney where he's able to take something new. But it feels, uh, it feels like what we remember of old Star Wars. And he's doing that with the music. He's doing that by bringing in Tarkin. And I can't wait till we start talking about Tarkin. He's so cool in this episode and, and, and different things like that.
4: Go ahead. Another thing too is, is that when they did that with the Clone Wars, it seemed like they got a lot of flack. You know, we said Greedo. That's right. Greedo. And I was like, Oh crap. Greedo's here. But at least like with Tarkin, you know, you got Steven Stanton voicing him again, which ties it to the Clone Wars. Then you got characters like Lando showing up, which ties it to the classic. I really think that that's the most brilliant move is knitting it all together in this way. And who knows? I mean, there could already be references to the next episode, you know, of, of The Force Awakens. We just don't know it yet. I mean, that's how subtle they could be working this stuff in right now. I, that's the brilliant side of everything going forward.
3: Now, I'm not sure that it's a fair comparison, though, because why were people annoyed with, oh, God, Greedo? Oh, God, Quinlan Voss, et cetera, et cetera. It was because there was previously existing continuity, and this show, The Clone Wars, was supposed to fit in with it, according to Leland Chee and Lucasfilm and all them. But it was steamrolling over characters that we had established backstories for. There is no such thing anymore. With this new story group canon, we got a handful of novels, we got a handful of comic books, we got the films, we got the Clone Wars, we got Rebels. That's really about it. So they can bring in Tarkin and not have to worry about screwing up a background, because beyond the Tarkin novel, there is no background for him. And we've seen him on screen in Clone Wars and this, and that's it beyond the Darkin novel. I will say, though, I do like the way it, it definitely feels like the original trilogy. The feel is absolutely there. I'm just not sure if it's a matter of, you know, they're seamlessly integrating more than they would have before. If there wasn't a previous continuity to think about when we were watching Clone Wars, things like Greedo wouldn't have bothered us. The music, though, to me, is a mixed bag. Because there are times they're able to pull off a cool new theme That is a riff on the film music, and that is awesome. It's Kevin Kiner doing some of what he does best, grabbing from John Williams and developing something fitting to the new scenario out of it. But that's not what we're getting sometimes. Whenever uh, Harris swoops in with the ghost to save them during the ATDP attack, it is music straight out of the trench run note for note. Why are we hearing the same themes from completely different situations? I mean, it's cool to hear that music, but I'd like to hear a riff on it, not exactly it.
2: I think it is a fair comparison when we're talking about characters that Filoni used to make it feel a little bit more Star Wars-y. I think that not just the continuity issue, but the way that they used Greedo, the way that they used Chewbacca, the way that they used these, the characters from the original trilogy in the Clone Wars is a lot different than the way they're using them now. And... I think it's it's a fair comparison. Now, as far as the music, Nathan, I really don't think you had, you've had you liked the music from the very get-go. So I hope that it could come around, but I agree well, with
3: I've, you. I've liked the mu- I've liked the music. I just haven't liked the... <laughs> that's now gone away. But well, one, th- one thing I do agree been with fine, you. It's just they're bringing back actual, exact music from films instead of riffing on it. That's why... I'd like to see changes.
2: Well, I think I agree with you that when they do hit their moment is when they do take some of the original trilogy music and kind of remix it somehow for a a lack of a better word. And that's when they're, they're hitting winners when they're not just reusing the same old stuff we've heard, but kind of just tweaking it a little bit. I think is the word you used. So I agree with you on that.
4: Speaking of lack of a better word, would you guys say it was safe to say we saw a mutiny against Captain Hera in this? I, I know that when Ezra and them choose to kind of go after Canaan, there was a thing that kind of jumped out to me. Ezra says something along the lines of, you know, we should go get him. And I'm thinking to myself, do you really think Canaan expected to be rescued? Because Hera was like, well, no, he made the sacrifice so we could get away. And I was thinking about that, like, you know, would he or was he like a Captain Malcolm Reynolds? You know, like you coming to get me, Hera? Come back! Like I, I don't know. I kind of thought that maybe there's a part of Kanan that would have expected them to come and get him, but then there's that Jedi nobility. What did you guys think? I
1: absolutely thought that Kanan. It was a sacrifice that Kanan wanted to protect the rest of the group, and he he expected. I think he expected the Inquisitor to kill him. Honestly, I think. That's what he expected, and it was the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, it was truly the point where he accepted the Jedi responsibility, and maybe he was willing to sacrifice himself, just like, and maybe we'll find out more about this as we get the new comic series, that his master sacrificed herself for him, as was alluded to in A New Dawn. Good points. But this episode, some of the specifics, we get this... Kind of great, I guess, um, almost like Walker battle in the beginning in the town where the group kind of commandeers and ATDP and... They try to hack into the Imperial network to find out where Kanan is. And I thought that was an interesting take on it. But I also really like that you get the sense that the, the Empire kind of knows what they're up to. And so they're going to do what they can to, I guess, prevent them from being successful by you know shutting down their own network. But I thought that was kind of a, a neat, neat ploy. It was very... I don't know. I got the sense it was very sort of gorilla esque that they were going to take over this walker the way that they did. And I suppose the only thing that took me out of it in that whole whole sequence was the fact that did anybody else notice the chopper uses his grasping arm to yes. try to uh, <laughs> access over the over and over
4: again? Yes, like,
1: thank you. It, it it was just one of those things. Like, uh, well, I, I I don't I don't pretend to be a droid expert, but that doesn't seem right to me it's very different than what we've seen from other astromechs especially r2 what what
2: what what was that does chopper not want to find kanan was he doing that on purpose because you see him twisted around in there and i until you said it you know I, i noticed something was different there but until you said it it did not click with me did he really not try to get the information maybe Hera told him not to do it i don't know
4: I honestly think the main difference we're seeing there, though, is a generational thing. Uh, you know, R2 is more advanced technology, so his probe is more advanced. It does more functions. I don't think that Chopper was not being loyal, though, to Kanan because he was waiting there. I mean, Zeb had to go back for him because he wasn't going to leave. He was desperately trying to find out where Kanan was. And I, I, I've never seen such devotion in a droid before.
1: especially not chopper the homicidal astromech
4: right
2: what you're saying is is that he did not have an adapter
1: so what you're saying is that um chopper needed a dongle (laughs) (laughs) he
2: doesn't have the correct adapter to get into but hasn't he used uh an r2 type of connector before
4: it's like the early early dells or or what a t86 or whatever the computers were those old school computers i mean that's choppers like the first generation style you know that's kind of where i was seeing it whereas r2 you know he plugs in and he's got things that get him in and out really fast i mean he, r2 always struck me as a military you know model you know that was always kind of and i i don't know i mean granted with the prequels came out and they kind of said he was a royal model so i mean i don't know the eu has, has damaged me <laughs> so
1: for All your older fans, uh, Chopper is a uh, Commodore 64 or Vic-20.
3: Yes. But is he, though? I mean, we don't, I don't think, know an age for when Chopper was manufactured. But here we are. We are four years prior to A New Hope, and Chopper, granted, is not brand new. But R2-D2 was already in service 32 years prior to A New Hope, 28 years prior to this. I'm not sure that why Chopper would necessarily be automatically some type of earlier model. Uh, I do think, I agree with Baron, I do think that we've seen him use a different type of connector before. It was weird seeing him use this particular connector, but they weren't being consistent with Chopper in this episode anyway. Because all of a sudden, it's not just that he can stick the little roller out and use it like R2-D2 when he's trying to go directions that you can't do on just two little legs. But the exact same place that comes out now, all of a sudden, has a booster rocket that comes out of it. They're playing it pretty fast and loose with Chopper at this point. Within that scene, though, I do like the way that they played off of last episode. It could very easily have been an instance where blowing up the comm tower was just the way to stop Ezra's message getting out, and that was it. And then some new thing would plague them this time, trying to find information about Kanan. And instead... The entire thrust of this episode's action is they can't get a connection because the comm tower got destroyed. So they continue that plot point on into this episode, which is not necessarily something I think that Clone Wars would have done without some type of preconceived arc in mind instead of it being a more episodic, you know, broader season vision.
1: I was impressed by that. Well, let me ask you a question. Was the Imperial Network down because the communications tower was down? Because they knew that the communications tower was down. I thought this was something additional that they did to try to thwart the rebels.
4: They were hoping that it wasn't going to be the case. I mean, because Zeb even mentioned the fact, well, they blew it up. But they were hoping that by going in, and I think it was even a new dawn, or no, maybe it was Tarkin, where they were talking about the mill net. no, it wasn't either of those. It was uh the new... Which one were we talking about, Nathan, on Stars Beyond the Film where they had the mill net and we were like, hey, that's a new type of thing. So it makes yeah, me kind of think... That was Tarkin. What was Tarkin, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, that's just the thing I was thinking of is maybe it was on the millnet or or they were thinking there was something along those lines, like there was a direct line communication. It was interesting to find out that the Empire was using the courier droids in a different sense in that case. You know, we've seen similar in A New Hope. You know, we saw mouse droids on the Death Star. They were doing the same thing, sending information from one place to another, and and nobody even thought anything of it. So it was kind of cool to see that that element was being played out. But they had to learn that by finding the walker and finding out, yep, sure enough, there's no other way to do this but that.
2: And not only that, but it makes perfect sense for the Empire to actually use droids. You know what I mean? And so it wasn't something it just didn't seem convoluted or kind of like an afterthought afterthought it really seemed like it was very smart storytelling i appreciated that
1: the one thing we're jumping over is how they discover that the empire is using courier droids and they learn this because ezra decides as i kind of alluded to earlier that you know he was not going to follow hera's directions and let Kanan go, that he was going to find out, and who does he go to? He goes to Visago, somebody we haven't seen for a little bit. And not only does he go to Visago, he reveals that Kanan and Ezra himself are Force-sensitive or Jedi, and he promises to do Visago a favor, which, you know, kind of is not necessarily a Jedi thing to do because you know Vizago's going to use him for something not so straight and narrow and probably not something a Jedi should be doing. Mm-hmm. I think that he is taking a lot of risks here, which I kind of like because it fits with the the type of character that Ezra is. And it also fits to the fact that he could do things that would open him up to the dark side again. So... I like that, that sort of vulnerability in his character. What did you guys think?
2: Oh, oh, yeah, Jonathan. I, I think you're totally right. I think one of the things that we're overlooking here is not the focus is that everybody's focusing on Kanan and they're focusing on getting him back. What I think they're really going to do, I hope they're going to do is punch us in the face and give us something with Ezra because He's in a dangerous spot right now. We've already seen him, as you said, Jonathan, tap into the dark side of the Force. And we know that attachment, love, fear of loss, those are the things that will take you to the dark side. And he's doing a lot of things. He's disobeying Hera, like you said. He's he's trying to get Kanan back. And he, he's at a vulnerable point right now that if Kanan is, is, will get hurt, what will happen with Ezra? And I hope that they kind of delve more into that. And I'm hoping we see something big from Ezra in the season finale.
4: Yeah, Ezra's making some seriously dangerous choices. I mean, choosing to to get Sabine and Zeb and even Chopper to work against Hera on her own ship. Ooh. When she shows up after this scene, I was like, run, dude, mama's mad. And then, you know, putting Kanan's secret out there like that. I think that was beyond stupid on his part. I mean, it shows the length and the depth he's willing to sacrifice to get Kanan back, how much Canaan means to him. But it also illustrates how reckless he's being. You know, he's not thinking about the ends that meet the results here, the, the ends justifying the means and all that. I mean, he's willing to sell Canaan into slavery almost. Just to, to get him out of being prison. I, I don't know. I think this is just going to come back and slap them all in the face really hard, especially once Hera was standing there like, ooh, I'm going to kick your butt.
3: You know, it's interesting the way they're promoting the next episode, right? The season finale is kind of like what we saw with Clone Wars at one point. Who will fall? Nothing is to say that fall must mean dies. Fall could certainly refer to going to the dark side or at least leaning that direction as well. I do like the fact that it's Ezra making this decision. It's not Sabine, although she is the one saying that Hera's directive was more of an opinion, perhaps. It's not even Zeb, who seems like the one who'd be more gung-ho to jump into something the way that he was characterized early on. Instead, it is Ezra, and it's this slow boil for him over the course of the season, right? It's him all on his own, not willing to help anyone, not willing to help the Wookiees, not willing to help the crew when they're walking into a trap. But Hera talks them into it. He decides to stay with the crew, what seems like reluctantly, but he's starting to choose to be part of this. And then we see more about well, what happened to his family, uh the potential loss of others, the loss of that support structure when they find out what's going on uh, with a senator who turned out not to be an ally. And every step of the way, they're playing on his attachment to others. His fear of losing them and losing people the way he lost his parents. And now that all came to a head with Kanan being captured. And we see a character doing something he was diametrically opposed to back in Spark of Rebellion. Putting himself and others in harm's way to save someone else. Instead of just looking after himself. Thinking of himself as part of a whole instead of a unit. Ezra's character arc... I think this season has been just as much about his connections, his sense of loss, and what he will do to prevent that again, as much as it's been about him becoming a Padawan.
4: When you talk about falling, there was that scene when, when Tarkin shows up and the Inquisitor's there, and they've got Kanan up against the wall, and the Inquisitor comes up, his eyes are glowing, and that awesome look that he has, and he's like, pain. The Jedi still feel Pain. And then, of course, you know, as he's doing, like, I don't know what he was doing, like, if he's putting a vision into Kanan's head or whatever, Kanan's like, I see, I see you growing more and more frustrated. And I don't know, I just, there are so many aspects of this show that resonates Firefly through me and there that connection of Malcolm. Coming through in that episode where Malcolm was being tortured. I don't know. I was really digging the banter between the Inquisitor and Canaan himself. But I hadn't thought about the fact that it could even be Canaan that falls to the dark side. I mean, I, I mentioned it before, but I didn't really put any stock into it. Now maybe there might be some. He's putting images of Ewoks and droids into Canaan's head.
1: Must stop the Nelvana images. That's enough to put anybody over to the dark side. I'll tell you what you want to know. Just please. No more Latara.
3: But everybody loves a skank, right, Barrett? (laughs) Notice, though, we've skipped over a pretty important point, which is why Hera didn't want them to do it in the first place, because she was with them initially. When they go after the ATDP, she's flying the getaway ship. She's given the air cover. It's only after she talks to Fulcrum that she's put in a position where she realizes that their actions have had broader consequences, brought them more attention last episode. And here they are needing to lie low. And she's, for lack of a better term, she's given an order. I'm not sure if it's so much an order as look, put it in perspective. You have this broader mission. You must whatever that broader mission is. You must keep Ezra safe, which is interesting and and sort of puts her in a position where she doesn't like it, but she's willing to follow those orders so that eventually once Ezra does what he does, she's angry. But it's going to give her an excuse to do something in a sense she wanted to do in the first place. But this is our first time seeing Fulcrum. We heard about him or her. We got an episode where we heard the voice. We got an episode where we saw the ship. This is the first time we've seen this hologram version of the character. And it's caused a lot of debate about who this could be, what the character sounded like. There's been some postings by a French voice actress who played some roles in The Clone Wars putting something up. That seems to spoil it but maybe doesn't because the character model here doesn't seem to necessarily bear that out we are told we're going to find out who fulcrum is next episode but if anything that one scene aside from playing a big role in showing us Hera's devotion to the cause like we saw in a new dawn has fueled all kinds of speculation about exactly who fulcrum is as we head into next monday
1: well i mean it's pretty obvious who fulcrum is i mean you see the 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 cowl over their face it, it's obviously darth sidious
3: <laughs> but it's going to be done in like a phantom menace sort of way where the audience is supposed to realize that they're the same character but they don't actually say it so they're actually fans out there who are like what palpatine's sidious
4: what aren't they clones or something what i look at the character i know what most people think i would love to see it be ahsoka katana But I don't really think that's the case. Logically, I want to see it be Bail Organa, because I've always seen him as one of the main leaders of the Rebellion. And if it was Bail, wanting to keep Ezra safe would make a little more sense, because he does know about Jedi survivors, and him wanting to keep Jedi alive after so many that have been slaughtered would make a little more sense. But then there's there's the one that I really think is probably going to be more closer to the truth, the one that I'm going to speculate on, and and I think it's it's probably going to be Leia, and I think that that changes my perspective, at least, of her. I mean, I know I've said with Nathan on Beyond the Films how at times I feel like, you know, they make her a leader of the rebellion and then they make her a foot soldier and throw her out in danger and then they make her a leader and all that stuff back and forth. And I would like to see them make her solidified one way or the other. Well, you make her fulcrum. I mean, how cool is it to find out that, yeah, while well, Bale had some roots in the rebellion. It was his daughter that was actually the one lighting the fire and getting it going. You know, that she forced Bale's hand. I mean, the implications there boggle my mind
2: it's got to be leia it's got to be leia when you when you when you look at everything the hood leia is in the when she you know when we see her in episode four when she does the hologram she has her, her hood on help obi-wan kenobi she's very good friends with hera it would make sense that bale would use his daughter in order to keep contact with another female for trust the way she talks, I mean, it, it's it's Leia. It's Leia, it's Leia, it's Leia. It's not Ahsoka. It could be Mon Mothma, possibly. But how badass would it be if, it, if it's Leia? It's gotta be Leia.
3: I'm in the camp that would have loved to have seen it be Ahsoka Tano. I think the shape of the head inside the cowl probably put the kibosh on that. Although, I listen to the voice and I hear... Oh, I could totally be modulated Ahsoka. But at the same time, I'm probably just hearing what I kind of wanted to hear, particularly based on that voice actress's comments out there. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 betting it's yeah, it's probably Leia. And I find it interesting that this would sort of change our perception of her because there were conflicting backstories at different points about how much she was involved with the Rebel Alliance. Um, what was she doing and when? How was she subordinate to Bail? You know, how much danger was he willing to put her in? But that was all Legends continuity. And now that that's sort of shifted off to the side, how cool would it be to see, as much as it would be probably cool to see Ahsoka back and connect the two series together, uh, how cool would it be to see that at the same time that we've had Ahsoka as a primary mover and shaker character for us at age 14, Ezra as a major character here at age 14, now 15, that we bring in Leia now at what would be age 15, and have her be taking a bigger role in this. There's a point at which it's a little eh, hard to believe a character who's 14 being as involved with Bale in terms of leadership. She seems a little young for that. But we've seen Lucasfilm really push this idea of young heroes, not just to connect with the audience, but sort of harken back to an, an earlier time when that age was more of thought of as an adult as opposed to being someone thought of as sort of an adolescent on their way to adulthood. And I'm assuming, kind of the rumblings of it is that we'll probably wind up seeing Bale again next week. He's the one big plot point from early in the season we haven't seen come back yet. So, assuming he's a part of the finale, yeah, it almost has to feed into the idea that this is going to be Leia, unless we get a bait and switch and it turns out that Leia is there, perhaps by his side, and oh, this is a completely different character, you know, in the cow, but yeah. Yeah, probably Leia,
1: not Ahsoka. I think you know, we talk about how this could change our perception of Leia. The other thing that I, I think it changes is how much does Leia know about the legacy of the Jedi? Because Fulcrum makes a really big point, Nathan, is you say that they have to keep Ezra safe. That it's really a push. That that's the reason they don't want that Fulcrum doesn't want them going after Kanan is because Fulcrum doesn't want. Ezra put in harm's way. I don't know. I always got the impression that Leia maybe didn't understand or completely buy into the Jedi legacy, and this would seem to negate that.
3: Well, I mean, she's the one asking for Obi-Wan Kenobi's help. She's the one sent to go pick him up from Tatooine. I think the perception of her in relation to the Jedi comes out of years and years and years of Legends tales in which they hadn't realized up until you know 2005 that bail organa was going to play such a role in revenge of the sith in terms of his relation to the jedi and whatnot they thought of it more as you know well he was a senator but he's more active on alderaan so maybe he wasn't around the jedi as much blah 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 and now that that backstory has been added it's sort of been years a decade sort of unlearning what we have learned and having different retcons show up to try to piece things together i can totally see her being someone that you know if she, if if Bale's going to take her into the rebellion or whatever you want to call this thing that he has started, then surely you know, one of the things he's going to tell her about is the Jedi. But I don't see that that's necessarily something that, that scores points, say, in favor of being Leia over Ahsoka, because I would assume Ahsoka would be just as primed about trying to make sure that, you know, that we wind up seeing Jedi returning because she used to be one. Although, you know, the big twist would be if they pulled an M. Night Shyamalan or something and it turned out it was Psy frickin'
2: Snoodles in the hood. (laughs) It can't... Ahsoka, if it was Ahsoka, Ahsoka would take action herself and she would help in the rescue. That's why it's not Ahsoka. That's why it's Leia. It makes sense. Bail Organa has dealt with Padme. Padme was very young when she was queen, when she was in the Senate. He's used to dealing with very smart young women. So it makes sense that he would train... Leia in the ways of espionage and the waves of the Senate when she's very young, you know? So, and I don't think it goes against what Leia's... What we know of Leia at all. Leia takes charge. Uh, like you said, she was sent to go get Obi-Wan. So I assume that she knew he was a Jedi. And it just... It, it all points to Leia. We're having, I think, Darth Vader come in next week. If we're having Darth Vader come in next week and if Bail Organa shows up, it all signs point to Leia.
1: Either that or it's Asajj Ventress.
4: Maul? <laughs>
1: she has a heart of gold.
3: Turns no, out I don't th- didn't get executed, and now she's working against what Palpatine <laughs> built when she was working against Palpatine in the first place?
2: I don't think that... I think eventually he's going to use Ahsoka... It's not going to be in the first season. I I think that Hera and Hera is the main female heroine of this series. And if you bring in Ahsoka, everybody's going to want Ahsoka to stay. So you're going to have to use Ahsoka for something big. Like maybe the death of Ahsoka when she comes in and, and, and introduced, but... It's not Ahsoka. They're not. He's not going to use her for this.
4: Well, let's just go down that road. What if they did bring her in? And what if they used this whole first season to, you know, pull the whole con in Star Trek 2? And then we find out that Rebels is also about Ahsoka Tano.
2: <laughs> he's not going to do that. He's not going to. He's not. They have something special here with Rebels. They've already these these seasons are one long movie. And I think we all can agree about that. It's something special. And this season one is going to win some awards. And he's not going to make the mistake to bring in an old favorite character and then people say, okay, Clone Wars 2.0, that's what Rebels is. He's not going to do that.
1: Well, the other reason that I don't think it's Ahsoka, you would think that if Ahsoka, I mean, being right when she left the, when she left the order, she was right on the cusp of knighthood. In fact, I mean, the council pretty much said that she had passed her trials. By, you know, going through being falsely accused and, you know, be in clearing her own name. And you would think that if she knew that there were one or in this case, two force sensitives, potential Jedi, that she would draw them together to, you know, complete their training. Because, I mean, Ahsoka could probably train Ezra far better than Kanan could. And also, the other issue that, when Ahsoka comes, that I find myself really curious about, especially when they say that Vader is now going to be present in this series and not just a hologram, do you think Ahsoka knows who Vader really is, or is that going to be a reveal at some point during this series?
2: Absolutely she knows. Absolutely she knows. They have been together as Padawan and Master far too long. She will be able to sense who Vader is, if she hasn't already. And just like Vader sensed Obi-Wan, Master and Apprentice, she knows, she knows who Vader is.
4: Well, a quick Tarkin spoiler here. If the main character in that book can figure out who's in the suit, I would think that Ahsoka, with all her skills as a Jedi and the Force bond that she had with her Master, would be enough like it was for Obi-Wan to trip Vader's senses when he was on the Death Star.
3: Wait, the main character of Tarkin? Who's the main character of Tarkin? And yeah. did you just
1: say oh. what I just said a lot better, Mark? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Looking at Tarkin, Tarkin suspects he doesn't know for certain.
3: That's true? true. I think with the whole question with, the, with how they might use Ahsoka if they wind up using her, I, I would agree that this is going to be something we'll probably see. Assuming she's not Fulcrum, it'll probably be quite a ways down the road. He did say Faloney did say early on that we wouldn't necessarily be seeing Clone Wars characters showing up in Rebels. And granted he was talking about season one at the time, so that probably just means season one as opposed to later, that, you know, could very well be true. We might wind up seeing someone later on, whereas this season is essentially bereft of any of those characters from Clone Wars unless they also appeared in the films. Then again, we also found this week that Shelley Shapiro of Lucas Books and whatnot was either purposely misdirecting, lying, misinformed or plans changed because she told us at San Diego Comic-Con that Hera was Sindula's niece. He was her uncle. And in this week's Rebels Recon, here's Pablo Hidalgo being asked point blank, what's the relationship? And saying, yeah, Sindula is Hera's father, which is going to make Lords of the Sith interesting because the one excerpt we've gotten from Lords of the Sith has Sindula as, or at least the Sindula clan. I can't remember if it's Sham himself. In scenes in that book, which suggests that maybe Lords of the Sith will give us some background perhaps on Hera. But the idea that there isn't a chance that plans might have changed since he said no Clone Wars character showing up in Rebels is, you know, pretty easy to believe if they also seem to have changed their plans on the relationship between Chom and Hera, which seems a pretty important point.
2: Now, Chom Sandula is the character from the Clone Wars episode where Mace helped them. Liberate his village, correct, or his people?
3: Yeah, yeah. Season one, um, it was the not the last episode, but the three episode story arc right before hostage crisis in season
2: one. That's Harris' father, apparently, according to Pablo Hidalgo.
1: Hey, we don't understand Twi'lek, uh, you know, family trees. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's her uncle oh. and her father. You never know. They're both. They're both Ew. green. No, I'm
2: that would just be trying totally to Star Wars, though, wouldn't it? I'm just trying to think that if there's any similarities to them, you know, and how they lead or whatever, but uh, you know, it's possible that uh, Hera might've been in the background of one of those episodes.
3: Well, their skin color is certainly different. So it'd be interesting to see if we ever wind up finding out who her mother is and that sort of thing. Um, but I guess that sort of takes us off track.
1: Oh, the, it really takes the, us the off key, track.
3: The the gear is that Fulcrum is the one making the decision that, there's a lot of mystery about whether or not Fulcrum is Ahsoka or Leia or somebody else completely, but that is a key thing here, I think. I I still don't necessarily think that Hera would have taken action had Ezra not stepped up, and she was definitely furious at Ezra. But there's a part of me that thinks, you know, she doesn't wind up really taking it out on him because he really, like you guys were saying, I mean, he kind of you know, gave up everything, you know, how you'll well, we'll owe you a favor. Hey, we're both Jedi. Uh, She was absolutely furious, but she doesn't wind up completely nailing Ezra for it. She's willing to go along with the plan. And I'd like to think it wasn't just, oh, we're in deep this far now. I guess I've got to lead us out of it, that she really was basically being given the opportunity to do something she wanted to do, just felt that as the leader, she couldn't do until they forced her hand on it.
4: Just for the sake of Ahsoka, We could actually have one of those cases where it's not even her in the hollow. It's a false hollow to throw off the identity. I mean, that could easily be the case.
1: Sure, it's possible. And you know what? If this was the Clone Wars, I would say they wouldn't have taken that type of effort. But here, hey, I I wouldn't put it past them. But going back to the episode itself, after Ezra kind of lays it all out for Vizago, Vizago shares with him that The Empire is basically transmitting all its information through the use of courier droids. And they come up with a plan to switch Chopper for the Imperial courier droid so he can get up onto this ship in orbit and get the information of where Kanan is being held. And as they do the switch, they abduct this... I think it's an R4 unit and it's kind of an interesting little, uh, little, I don't know, dynamic with him because I swear at one point when, when they, when they grab him and Zeb kind of looks at him, is it me or does, does the droid pass out?
3: Well, he tries to backpedal and winds up falling over while backpedaling.
1: I think he fainted.
4: Yeah. I, I totally was thinking the same thing because he picked him up like two or three times. He was like, no, no, come on. I mean,
1: it's, It's an interesting ploy and man, the Imperials, either they really don't pay attention to droids or all droids kind of look alike because, I mean, only the barest of resemblances, even with the new paint job, does Chopper look like this other droid. And I have to say my favorite interaction with the droid is after after Chopper makes it onto the ship, the Imperial ship gets the information, kills a bunch of stormtroopers by releasing them into the vacuum of space. He He's rescued by the ghost. And then Zeb, who's become kind of fond of the other droids, like, I think we should keep him. And Chopper pushes him out. <laughs> he's like, you know, nope, only room for one droid on this ship. <laughs> and Chopper's a homicidal droid.
3: After twice doing his beeps that really sound like what the F. He does one of those, and then there's another comment about trying to keep him, and he does it one more time, and then goodbye, pushes the droid out, which, unfortunately, according to Floni, we'll probably never see again, although it was kind of an interesting droid dynamic. I found the easiest thing would have been for that droid to just be afraid the entire time or be resistant the entire time, and instead we get a droid that was just, oh, these must be my new masters now, and helping put out fires and otherwise being a good droid, I almost kind of regret that we're probably not going to ever see that droid again. It was see, kind of a neat addition.
4: I don't know if I agree with that because Sabine was calming the droid throughout a good chunk of that before the droid actually finally came around to Zeb. He was, I, I'm with Jonathan on this, he was legitimately terrified of Zeb. I mean, she was like all down on her knees like there there buddy, it's okay. And I was thinking, I'm like, man, like she's really talking to that thing like it's a cat. Like, you know, I, no wonder Chopper got ticked off.
3: But they gave it some character that wasn't just standard. I mean, who would have thought when that droid was kidnapped that the droid was going to turn out being like, okay, yeah, let me help you put out this fire, buddy.
4: (laughs) Well, there's that. And and I am I the only one that was kind of a little upset that he bounced off the ground and lived like I was like, man, them droids are like Durasteel, man. They just take a lick and keep on taking. I thought for sure we'd see spark wire or something. I
1: was actually kind of expecting after he kind of picked his head up. It's like, okay, I'm all right that those Lothcats would have attacked him.
2: Oh, that would have been great. Even Filoni is doing a better job at droid personality than Lucas did <laughs> in the prequels.
3: And to kind of bring it back around, I would agree that it's it's probably just a matter that the Imperials, they don't really pay attention to droids, I and mean, the droids are essentially the appliances of their age, something that Lucas had said plenty of times before. So it makes, it makes sense. You could get Chopper, paint him up, and as long as he's got the right coloration and here's these stormtroopers are saying oh well we're late already just take the droid aboard and go i mean unless this is a droid they're constantly dealing with that same pair of stormtroopers constantly dealing with that same droid that you know why would they necessarily notice a difference the imperials on the ship notice a difference He's an older model and whatnot whenever they're trying to figure out why he's not giving them the data that they think that he's carrying and why he's accessing what he's accessing but it makes sense because they would be dealing with that type of droid day in and day out with this information, whereas the stormtroopers, maybe not. In that case, like I guess. Speaking of the idea of being able to tell people apart, and it is funny that this was the episode that, in the episode guide on StarWars.com, they make a note, I believe, about how well. You know, in the, with the clones, it was easy to have all kinds of clone characters or officers aboard the ship because, well, we just use the same character model because they were all clones of the same guy. But in Rebels, we hide the fact that we're using the same character model over and over again for these Imperial officers by having them have the brim of their hat really low. No, man, you're not fooling anybody.
4: <laughs> well, another thing that leapt out to me on this was when the stormtroopers took him, you know, chopper up to the, the ship up in the outer orbit there. The way it docked was really cool and interesting. And uh, that's something across this season that I've, I've actually enjoyed. I'm, I'm one of those that really enjoys ships and the, and seeing the ships in space and everything. And we've seen the, you know, the ghost dock multiple different ways. We've seen other ships docking in space. There have been a lot of ship to ship docking on this show. And I've been really getting a kick out of that.
3: And this was another ship that was back from. The Clone Wars, very much like the Venator Star Destroyers with the red markings, got used at the end of Revenge of the Sith where they were just straight white. So they resembled the Star Destroyers more that we would see later. Here you've got this ship that we saw as a Jedi vessel back in the Clone Wars, slightly modified and stripped of all the red coloration to become an Imperial ship, straight harkening back to that end scene of Episode 3. I loved that, that continuity of concept that they're using here.
1: No, that was really good. I, di- I did like how they did that. Now, the information that they get is that Kanan has, after being tortured by Tarkin and the Inquisitor, who has not given them the information that they need, so they're bringing him to a place that has never failed to break a Jedi, and they're bringing him to Mustafar. So we're going back there. Obi-Wan's like, no Jedi's ever resisted being broken. I beg to differ.
4: Well, you have to almost wonder what it is that's breaking them. I mean, would it break a Jedi to find out that the Chosen One turned to the dark side and that was where it all went down?
3: Oh, no, it's he, he. I'm the obvious, right? Who are we getting in the next episode according to the preview? I mean, if we've got Vader showing up in the next episode, how cool is the idea perhaps that here's Anakin, who got really screwed up—well, okay, Vader without the suit— getting really screwed up by Obi-Wan on Mustafar, a place that the Jedi had been before, right? Because what we saw back with the Children of the Force and all that stuff back in— or Children of the Jedi, whatever it was called back in Clone Wars, that he would go back to the source of his pain, of his rage, of where he supposedly killed Padme— I still think it was the Force choke, not losing the will to live— but where he supposedly kills Padme, according to Palpatine— And where he lost so much of his humanity and where he was betrayed by Obi-Wan and where the Clone Wars ended by slaughtering the leaders of the Confederacy, that this is where he would come back to to break Jedi, that it would be like his own personal hell, both symbolically and psychologically. And that's where he could break Jedi that might not be able to be broken elsewhere, not because of the place and its effect on the Jedi, but perhaps what it gives to Vader in his rage and his connection to the dark side to be able to break them. Assuming it's him doing the breaking.
1: Well, see, that's the thing I'm betting that Vader arriving and we've seen scenes of this, or we've seen pictures of this. I think Vader, that's going to be the last scene of that episode. And it's going to be what takes us into season two.
3: Could be, but we don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that the breaking or the attempt at breaking Kanan will have even got very far by that point. We could be looking at a cliffhanger that goes into the next season. Clone Wars didn't do it, but this show could certainly pull a cliffhanger and send us, you know, waiting months until we finally see it, unless you're going to Celebration.
2: So I think it'd be kind of cool to see exactly what Vader we're going to get. You know, give us seven minutes of Vader. You know, they don't have to give us a lot. Just give us enough where we're actually going to see him do the walk, I've seen some of the promo images of, of what he looks like. And it's very similar to the hologram we saw, very Macquarie-esque. You know, are we going to get the Vader that's Revenge of the Sith Vader, where he's still kind of young and confused on his choice, maybe? Or are we going to get what we've kind of been getting recently in the, in the legacy or the legends continuity where we have, you know, Rise of Vader, where he's just this pit bull where he's just going out. And he's trying to satiate his own despair and grief with bloodlust. Or are we going to get episode four, episode five, episode six Vader, where he is basically he's almost tired of the emperor, it seems like. And he wants to kind of rule the, the universe himself. And he's trying to find, you know, a partner in that. So it's going to be interesting to see what Vader we get. It may be a whole new Vader that we get.
3: Well, it's interesting you mention that because we really haven't got, in this canon and all, we haven't really got a lot of Vader in this era. We've got the Vader in his own comic series and in a new ongoing Star Wars, the volume whatever series, coming through Marvel. But really the closest thing to this time we've got with Vader in this new continuity is Tarkin. And that's five years after Revenge of the Sith, so you have to jump another quite a while to be able to get to this point. But it's interesting in that, He's almost sort of shed a lot of that uncertainty from what we can tell uh, from the different perspectives we actually get in that novel, which isn't very often from Vader's own point of view. But it's interesting how much he's sort of shed the uncertainty by that point, Um, which makes me think we're probably going to see something much closer to the original trilogy Vader here, which would make sense if that's the feel they're going for with this series. I don't expect them to take Vader and do, unfortunately, a lot of nuanced psychological stuff with them here. Uh, it seems like that's something that is more likely reserved for the other characters. Although uh, my big fear with Vader coming in would be what people are thinking right now, which is whole if it says who will fall? Well, if they're not going to take out any of the main heroic characters, probably doesn't really leave very many people unless we're talking about Callus or the Inquisitor. And in particular, I would hate to see the Inquisitor with this amazing voice actor leave the series but it would seem like the most obvious one if he's failed to break kanan Uh, but we learned back in the last episode in call to action nobody's safe we thought taskmaster grint and commandant d'oresco were going to be around for a while because hey they were some of the first characters they ever introduced in this series and (laughs) they're gone now
4: yeah i think we're going to see a return to like the purge style vader where he's just you know so angry about the fact that their jedi's still alive I, I too agree. I think, I think the one that's going to fall is going to be the Inquisitor. He's going to be like, all right, you're done. Choke him out. Plus it would answer the, uh, the question of is Inquisitor his first name? Are there other Inquisitors? I mean, you know, you have failed me for the last time and bring in the next one. You know, I mean, I could see that, which would open up a whole nother door. I mean, what if one of the next Inquisitors comes in and we find out it's Darth Maul is a lapdog? (laughs) Nice.
2: But but wait, isn't his first name the No, he is a (laughs) inquisitor because I believe in
3: an inquisitor
2: an (laughs) inquisitor. (laughs) I had to do it. No, it's fine. Thank you, professor. I think that it's this episode where I think it's this episode. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they say, I think it's Kanan. He says, would they have sent a inquisitor if it wasn't important? referencing, giving, giving the meaning that there are other Inquisitors out there. So I think that it makes sense that the this Inquisitor gets taken out, and then we get a whole new villain uh, for the next, or another Inquisitor for the next season. That would make sense. Darth Maul could be an Inquisitor by now.
1: Yeah. I guess we're going to have to wait and see, because next time we're going to be discussing fire across the galaxy the season one finale of star wars rebels and i am really looking forward to this and i can't wait to get your guys perspective
2: so in this next episode the season finale of we're going to find out who fulcrum is we're going to see vader and possibly we're going to there's going to be a death of a of a major character is that what we're looking forward to next
1: week Well, I um, am holding the latest episode of Star Wars Insider, and the description that they give is, in the season finale, the Rebels must infiltrate the heart of an Imperial fleet to rescue Kanan. This leads to an epic battle between Kanan, Ezra, and the Inquisitor, and results in the destruction of Tarkin's flagship.
3: Oh, We see see that in the preview. We see the Star Destroyer being destroyed and falling down to Mustafar.
4: Oh, Vader's going to kill somebody.
1: Consequently, Imperial security on Lothal is strengthened, making their missions more difficult in the future. Hera calls in help, but so does the Empire. The identity of Fulcrum is revealed. Guest appearance by Bail Organa and reappearance of Darth Vader. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. If, if it's a Ahsoka... So, I will see you guys next time when we discuss... Fire Across the Galaxy.
3: All right, Jonathan, looking forward to it. And looking forward to that season wrap-up episode that we'll do that will finally bring in a new member of our uh, panel.
1: And if you're not satisfied with wondering who Fulcrum is, why don't you wonder about our new member?
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan Berent Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at Facebook.com slash Rebels Roundtable or on Twitter at Rebels Round. Also, be sure to visit RebelsRoundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Enganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit RepublicForces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the 2nd Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels, and all that the Star Wars universe contains, is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved. A good
3: episode, but definitely felt like the first half of one episode as opposed
2: to being something standing on its own. Barrett. You guys are gonna kill
1: me. Yeah, what's up?
2: I didn't yeah, see the, the... I, I haven't seen the episode. What? I thought we were discussing the first episode. What do you mean the first episode? The one where Kanan gets gets captured. We already we talked about that. We already that. talked about that one. When do we talk about that one? Oh but my god. Go? Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Yeah. I've been, I've been, I. Carmella has got an operation on her back, and I've been doing oh, wow. my my midterms and finals with uh my medical. And I swear to God, I didn't know a new a new episode came out.
1: Oh my God! Oh my God! You're Baron sitting there going, "Oh crap!" I'm, I'm, <laughs> you I, I you am. Talking talking about?
2: About.
3: And I'm I like, we need to give him in. about 20 minutes and come back got- to it. I'm like, what yeah. the fuck
2: yeah. is Revels Resolve? <laughs>
3: yeah, because yeah, we already talked about the thing with Tarkin, and we talked about the, you know, that call to action. That's what,
2: what John yeah. has been working on editing.
1: Uh, oh my God! Well, Go watch it. The rest of us will talk amongst ourselves.
2: I gotta see it off iTunes. Let me
1: get it. Quick. Yeah, quick, quick.
4: Quick, man, to the iTunes mobile.
2: I'm so <laughs> sorry, guys. I mean, I, you know, this. I, Mark, you must think I'm just some up but I swear to <laughs> fucker, fucking Christ. I'm
4: actually, I'm like, I'm like, how did you know it was Leia, though? <laughs> I'm like, because I'm in your boat, man. I, I was like, totally, when oh when they God. were doing that, I'm thinking, I want it to be Bail because like, that makes the most sense, but I was thinking, I'm like, you know, if it's Leia, though,
3: well, it said that's Bale's a whole back, different So It certainly feels like it'll probably wind up being Leia, and Leia would be 14, or I guess 15 now, and it's about the age they use for Ezra and a So Good. So I'm like, ah, oh,
1: fuck.
3: It's going to be fucking <laughs> Leia. But
1: parents, it doesn't sound parents, like Leia. Watch, it. sounds go, like a So Good. I, I'm watching it. All right. Mute yourself, watch it, and I'll just talk to these guys.
2: Jesus. Okay.
1: <laughs> Best
4: blooper ever. <laughs> no <kidding>. shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cute chopper. <laughs>
3: Everybody's sitting here waiting to hear the punchline, like. Is he
4: fucking ah. with us? <laughs> <laughs> I'm why are we. Can't we let, let you finish putting your shoe in your mouth? Why are we going to kill you? <laughs> <Right>. Like, what?
1: <laughs>
4: so,
3: Barrett didn't watch the episode. He didn't realize there was a new one.
0: So, <laughs> no, we were I got waiting it. about 20
3: it. minutes for Barrett to watch I got the it. episode. He got, I got it? it. I got Did it. Did you watch it fast? No, wait. You no, got no. it as in you downloaded it, or you got it as in you watched it?
2: I, down- I got it as in I watched it.
1: Damn, that was fast. On fast forward?
2: Oh. Uh, well, I kind of, I'm I mistaken. I did kind of watch it. I did watch it. Okay, he did
3: kind of watch it. Well, we're I did watch figure... it. I See, we listen, had to man. Wait. We were Is about
1: that to like, like kind of being pregnant?
2: <laughs> listen. <laughs> listen. Wow. Yeah, it's just, again, lessons learned. It seems that they have learned them well. And now they started off as the, the Padawan, and now they are the master when it comes to storytelling. You can cut that out, Jonathan. I was going to say something a lot smarter than that, but Nathan fucked <laughs> it up.
3: <laughs> Apparently, that seems my thing
1: tonight. This leads to an epic battle between Kanan, Ezra, and the Inquisitor, and results in the... Di- oh well, I'm not going to be able to do this. Forget that. They just gave what? away too much. They just gave what? away too much. Oh Wait. damn it! I gotta know. You <laughs> know, I gotta know. <laughs> All right, well.
3: My issue he isn't here yet, bitch.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Listen, uh, if it's Ahsoka, I'm buying you guys all a drink at Celebration. Woo! Except none of us are going. Well, actually, Mark's going, right?
4: Mark is going. I'll drink three drinks. Woohoo!
2: <laughs> yeah, you can drink it all for him, man.
4: Will you please stop talking?